0: are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So the feeding of the 5,000, a story so familiar that we're basically finishing it in our minds just as it begins to be read aloud. And yet there are textures to this story that we do well to keep in view. So let me give you a quick introduction to the Gospels sort of a talk. This story appears in all four of the Gospels, with both Matthew and Mark, including a second, similar, really parallel story of the feeding of the 4,000, just a little further on in their accounts. Luke includes just this story of the feeding of the 5,000, while John's account adds some very specific details not mentioned in any of the other Gospels, including having a, a little boy bring forward his own lunch of five loaves and two fish to be shared. That's unique to John. But then again, John's account written later than the other three, is generally very unique. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they overlap all over the place. The long-standing scholarly consensus is that Mark is the earliest gospel, written in the early 60s, prior to the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. Mark's gospel moves at a rapid pace. It can, you can easily sit down and read it through in an hour, easily. And his favorite word is euthos, euthos, translated immediately. That word appears 42 times in Mark's brief gospel, and the Jesus and the disciples are forever immediately going here, or immediately going there, immediately doing this, or immediately doing that. The overall impact is urgency. His story is so hurriedly shared. Matthew and Luke clearly had copies of Mark in front of them as they wrote their own accounts. And you can see that really easily if you read the the, the common episodes from the three Gospels, sort of one after another. The chronology is basically the same amongst all three. The wording is very similar in the sections that they all share. And for the most part, though, Matthew and Luke drop Mark's favorite word. It's not immediately anything. Matthew and Luke also flesh out the story of Jesus in their versions, sometimes with material the two of them hold in common, sometimes with their own unique material. So, for instance, Mark has no nativity scene, none. Luke has the very familiar Bethlehem story that we read on Christmas Eve with the angels and the shepherds in the manger, while Matthew gives us only the story of the visit of the Magi. So, keeping those pieces kind of in view as the background, let's take a look at this story today and see what we can see. First of all, here in Matthew, as in Mark, news of the death of John the Baptist has just arrived to Jesus, and it has led him to withdraw alone to a deserted place. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns, and before you know it, he's engaging this throng of people with compassion, teaching and healing those among them who are ill. This continues for a good long time, certainly through the whole of the day, and when evening arrives, the disciples come to Jesus and say, you know, it's probably time to send the crowds on their way. They need to go to the nearby towns and find something to eat. Totally logical, totally rational thing for the disciples to suggest. We are talking a massive crowd here, thousands and thousands of people, 5,000, you say, the feeding of the 5,000. Well, yes, except. Did you catch the closing line in this section? And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. And typical of that time and that culture, the male writers didn't much bother with an estimated count that included the women and children, but rather just focused on the men. Those were simply the cultural lenses through which they looked. But for the sake of argument, you might want to double the numbers in that crowd, so maybe 10,000. So there are the disciples looking at that vast crowd when Jesus said to them, The people do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. To which they reply, all we have here is five loaves and two fish, perhaps silently thinking in their own minds, and that's hardly going to do it even for the 12 of us. Jesus then quietly says, bring what you have to me. I can only imagine the rather dubious looks on their faces, but they comply. He gets the whole crowd to settle down on the grass And he takes the bread and fish, looks up to heaven, blesses and breaks the loaves and begins to give it to the disciples to distribute. Quick pause. The language is very intentional here. Jesus takes the bread and fish, blesses them, breaks the loaves and gives it to the disciples to distribute. Take, bless, break, give. This is actually classic Eucharistic language, which was identified by Dom Gregory Dix in his 1945 book, The Shape of the Liturgy, as being central to the vision of the New Testament and to traditional communion practice of the church. As Matthew describes things in chapter 26, this is the Last Supper, while they were eating Jesus, took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. In our liturgy, we repeat this pattern when the bread is taken or, or set on the communion table, blessed in our Eucharistic prayer, broken at the words, this is the body of Christ, behold what you are, become what you receive, and then given to each person who comes forward to receive. Now in this story, as the disciples distribute the pieces of bread along with the fish, they discover something extraordinary. All ate and were filled, Matthew tells us, All ate and were filled, and the disciples took up what was left over of the broken pieces. Twelve baskets full. More, in other words, than they had had to begin with. So twelve baskets. Twelve is an important number in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's considered almost a a perfect number. Most significantly, Jacob the patriarch had twelve sons. And each of those 12 sons came to represent one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then when the temple established, the book of Leviticus stipulated that 12 unleavened cakes of bread be set out in the temple each week with frankincense beside the bread. In a sense, the number is both literally significant, the number of sons, the number of tribes, and symbolically important, as in the case of these 12 loaves of bread in the temple. Any first-century Jewish reader would have instantly seen that connection in this story told by Matthew. Now, a second quick pause before I bring things to a close. Again, while John and Luke tell only of the feeding of the 5,000 men in their renderings of the gospel, Mark and Matthew have that second feeding story. In Matthew, it comes at the end of the next chapter, chapter 15. So let me read that one to you and see what you might hear. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd, because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, How many loaves have you? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd, And all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children. So, a slightly different story, but the same fourfold movement is there. He took the seven loaves and fish and gave thanks, and then he broke the bread and gave it. The one major difference is that here he begins with seven loaves and a few fish and ends with seven baskets full of leftover pieces. If 12 in the first story, the story we read tonight, is a critically important number in Judaism, seven was equally important in Greek thought, in the dominant Gentile thought, of that world. And you wonder then, is this story, this story with seven loaves and seven baskets of leftover, is this meant as a precursor to what would follow as the Jesus movement is opened up and shown to be for all, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, I believe that's part of what's at work here. But even more critically is this. Even more critical the differences between two feeding miracle stories is this. Just as the multitudes were miraculously fed on bread and fish, so are we fed here with bread and wine. Week by week, Jesus is made known to us In the breaking of bread, just as he was to his earliest disciples, to the two followers on the road to Emmaus, to Paul and Barnabas, to Silas and Timothy, to all through these 2,000 years who have opened their hands and their hearts and their souls to the presence of God with us, God with us in this Eucharist. Christ is present to us here and now and ever. And that is as startling a story as the feeding of 5,000, of 10,000 on the hills outside the Sea of Galilee. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.